Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sarah. Sarah, I'm a compulsive reader and bulimic. I am so nervous being up here. My hands are shaking so badly. Um, but I'm happy to be here. Rashad, thank you for asking me. Um, I, when I got your call, I knew what was happening. I, I just knew. I said, oh, the moment's here. It's happening. And I was very tempted to throw my phone into the back of the car and not answer. But um, it is a true honor to be here. And... This is the first room I came into when I came into program. Um, I started coming into OA, and it will be two years this March. And um, I was totally unprepared for how this program was going to change my life. Uh, I will stick to the typical what happened, what it was like, and um, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now format. Um So just going in, uh, what it was like, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut, and I grew up in a family that um, was very dysfunctional. We looked fine on the outside, but we were very dysfunctional on the inside. Uh, My father was an active alcoholic when I was growing up, and I didn't know that. I just knew dad passed out at random times. He had a very volatile, scary temper and I couldn't rely on him. And uh, my sister also had um, a mental illness when she was younger, and she went through several manic episodes um, very early on into her life, very young. Um, And I remember just being so in a constant state of fight or flight. I would open up my door to my house, and I would kind of just be... It was like this initial, like, walking on tiptoes, like, waiting to hear screaming or um, yelling or fighting and and not knowing what I was going to walk into. And it definitely affected me. Um, I saw a lot of things I don't don't think any child should see, um, including, you know, my sister having a knife up against my mom and... I kind of walked into the kitchen, I was like six or seven, and it was my responsibility to get my little brother and um, and his friend out, and I just remember I felt so responsible for for the safety and for um, everyone else's well-being, and I, I just didn't know how to handle it, um, and so... I turned to food, and when I did my history, I was shocked to find that my first compulsive bite started very early. Um, I I think the first memory I have was when I was in about uh, third grade, and that's when things were really hard at home in terms of my sister's mental health, and um, I was a big stealer at school. 
and I would go into the classrooms when all the other kids were out, and I'd go through their desks, and I'd look for change, and I'd look for toys, and I'd look for anything that I could get my hands on. Um, looking back, I think that was me in some weird way trying so desperately to get out of myself and to be someone else with their things in their life. But I was a big stealer, and I was very good at lying. And my third grade brain knew that one of the teachers at my school had this big cookie jar filled with candy on her desk. And so I had a plan. I, I said I was going to go to the bathroom, and I went into this teacher's desk, and I, I took her candy, and I got caught. And she came in, and she's like, Sarah, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know, Miss Knox, my teacher, she uh, she needs candy for this class demonstration. And she asked me to come and get some. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I thought she would totally know that, like, I was being absolutely honest. Come to find out, like, my entire family, the social worker, the therapist, like, all of them were having this sit-down about, like, how concerned they were. And my father goes... You know, Sarah knew what she wanted. She went right ahead and took it. I think that's so great. Good for her. So that's kind of like, that gives you a little bit of a glimpse into the insanity and the ignoring concerning behavior. And I felt like I could just, I felt like I could just fly under the radar um, for the most part. And the biggest thing, the biggest feeling that I remember from my childhood and the biggest reason that I turned to food is because um, I never felt like I belonged. I was seriously convinced up until my adolescence, honestly, that I was an alien dropped down from outer space. Like, I did not... I, I just... I was like, there's something so wrong with me. What is it? I suffer from trichotillomania, which is a hair-pulling disorder, um, so I looked different on the outside, and I was being bullied ruthlessly for it um, for years. And so I battled with this fear of safety at home and at school, and I just got the message, there's something wrong with you. And I really took that to heart, and I had no idea what to do with that information besides eat. And... Um, the food worked for me as a kid. It got me through all of that. It got me through my sister's hospitalization. It got me through my parents' divorce. It got me through, you know, scary weekends when I'd have to go and stay with my dad, who was newly sober, and he still had the scariest temper. But his solution was all of the fast food, all of the desserts, and I took it. Um, and when I came... <laughs> into, uh, when I got older, um, I started dieting, and um, that kind of perpetuated this cycle of, you know, I would binge, and then I would restrict. I would binge, and I would restrict, and I would, you know, my binges would be so big that I would make myself throw up because I was in so much discomfort, um, and I just thought that was normal. I was like, oh, you know, people don't live and die by the number on the scale. Like, are you sure? Like, I just thought that was so normal to just constantly be focusing about my weight and placing all the emphasis on the weight. And um, and it was just, it was so tiring. But it took me a long time to be willing. Um, and 
what happened was I moved out here to California. I took a teaching job, and it was a very big uh, lifestyle change for me. And I lived with my auntie, bless her, um, who I I ate all of her food. Every last drop, convinced still, still convinced that she had no idea that all of her food was going missing. None. Um, and bless her heart, she never said anything about it. But um, she was kind of, she was the first person I think in my family who saw that there was something really going on. And um, when I moved out, I continued to live. You know, I got my own place, and. Um, I was facing some issues at work, just struggling at work, um, and I had some family stuff going on, some mental health stuff, and I just remember begging my doctor. I was like, I need more medication. I need more. This isn't enough. Whatever you're giving me, it's not working. I need more. I need to not feel this way. I need to not be picking. I need to not be eating. I can't stop. I need you to give me something. To the point where I was on antipsychotic medicine, and it was never enough. And um, I continued to see this doctor, and he had me filling out mood charts. And on the charts, it would talk about you know, my anxiety levels, my depression, how much I was drinking. He wanted me to mark if I was binging or purging or restricting. And I think it, it became very clear that he was very concerned because it looked like a roller coaster. It was like one day I was up here, the next day I was down here, and like the constant thing was binging and restricting. And it got so bad to the point where um, I was, you know, putting myself and others at risk, uh, driving under the influence to get food uh, many times. I was unable to look at myself in the mirror, having suicidal thoughts. Like, I could not, I just couldn't handle anything, whether it was, you know, my roommate slamming the door or, you know, a difficult conversation at work. Like, whatever it was, I couldn't handle it. And so my doctor at the time had, like, a little mini intervention for me, and he was like, you need help. Um... And his recommendation was that I go join the beverage program. And I was so outraged, and I said, absolutely not. And I went over to my auntie's house and started having, like, a huge mental breakdown. I, I just was sobbing. I was like, what's wrong with me? He must be lying. I'm going to write a bad Yelp review. Like, he is awful. Like, I'm never going to talk to him again. And... um. And she didn't know what to do with me because I was just a mess. And so she called her doctor, and her doctor listened to me for a long time, and she goes, all right, Sarah, so, you know, maybe you're not ready to look at the other the other stuff, but, you know, what I am hearing is that the food is really hard for you. And I have someone uh, that I know who is really great, and she would be happy if you want to go to your first meeting to come. And she would take you. And I remember lying on my aunt's bed, and I was like, well, what else am I going to do? Because I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't keep battling the scale. I couldn't keep um, practicing, you know, these these behaviors of self-demoralization, you know, 
lying and cheating. And so I said yes. And um, I came here in March and, um, man, scary. And welcome to the newcomers and happy birthday to the birthday people. I was so nervous at first. I was like, ah. But happy birthday and, and welcome. Um, when I came in, I heard people be like, oh, you know, just stay. Wait for the miracle. Your life's going to change. It's going to be beyond your wildest dreams. And I was like, what? Oh, I can't swear. What? Thank you. Are you talking about? What do you mean? And um, I have 10 minutes, and I want to leave a couple minutes for questions if possible. So I just want to get into what it's like now. Um, I'm a completely different person today, and um, I feel it. I feel like when I, before I came in, I was this that constant roller coaster that clearly those charts showed. I was up and down, up and down, couldn't handle anything. And now I feel so calm, not all the time, but just my state of being. I feel like I can just exhale. And um, my experience with the steps have been incredible. Part of, you know, what I had to realize through the steps, through my, you know, inventory and turning it over and working my way through my amends was I really like playing the victim. I really, really do. I like thinking that everyone else is wrong and that there's nothing wrong with me and that everything bad has happened to me, so everyone should it's everyone else's fault. And um, I think the biggest part of my recovery today is the ability to look at my own part and to recognize um, what my survival traits are, and I, I try to call them survival traits um, instead of character defects because at some point they did help me survive. You know, they got me through. And um, so I've worked all 12 steps, and my relationships have been transformed. My job that I wasn't sure I was going to make when I first came here, I, I feel like I'm thriving in it, um, and it's because of the steps and this program and the fellows and, and being able to be completely vulnerable with you guys. I had no idea who I was when I came into these rooms. I felt like a chameleon. I just took bits of people's personalities and made played them off like they were my own. And um, this program has helped me to really determine like who I am, what I want from life, who I want to be, and each step, each interaction with a fellow, it starts to pull down brick by brick all those walls that I've built up around myself um, to try to protect myself. And my relationship with my higher power, um, I want to touch on that briefly. Um, in my home, there was a, it was a very religious-oriented uh, home. And the word God scared me. I didn't like it. I didn't want to hear it. Um, it reminded me of my father. And he scared me so much. So I was like, anything that he is, like, so in love with, I was like, it must be scary, too. So, like, I need to run. And when I came in here, I my sponsor, I found a sponsor, and she's like, I'm an atheist. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so great. Perfect. And it actually was perfect because I don't consider myself to be an atheist, but I got to have the ability to determine what my relationship was going to look like with my higher power, and I got to do it in my own time without anyone, you know, telling me 
how it should look. And my higher power is that I choose to refer to as God is is always with me and wants the best and isn't punishing. And I am such a punisher of myself. I love bringing out the whip and you know beating myself up for every little thing. And my higher power is someone that's just like, Sarah, I got you, babe. You're good. Like, don't worry. You're fine. It's going to be okay. And um, that's just another gift of this program. And I I just want to close with uh, one more thing. Um, I mentioned that my relationships have been so different. So um, I have a little brother, and he... For years, you know, my sister kind of targeted me in her um, manic episodes, and I I reciprocated all of that onto him. And he was on my amends list, and kind of, you know, I just was always in his business, always looking at everything he was doing, trying to talk to all his friends, constantly invading his privacy. And you could probably give him a hundred dollars and say, go sit with your sister in a room. And he would be like, no, I'm good. Like even for a minute, like he just wanted nothing to do with me and I don't blame him. Um, and when I went through the steps, I really had to look at my relationship with him and, and my survival traits and how they had led our relationship astray. And today he called me and that was never, ever, ever the case before program. He would never call me. And if, if I, had call, I called him, it almost always went to voicemail. And today he called me to talk to me about something really personal that he wanted um, advice on. And he stayed on the phone with me for like 30 minutes. And he's like, I just, I know you've been in recovery. And I just, I want to know, you know, I want your feedback on this. And like, can you help me? And I got off the phone and I was like, oh my God, what a gift, you know? Like before program... He wouldn't come near me with a 10-foot pole if you paid him. Like, he's he really, he couldn't. I wasn't safe to him. And because of this program, I've gotten to, you know, just change the way that I show up for people and that I show up for myself. And it's not always perfect. The food is still hard sometimes. And um, I have to own that, too. You know, the food is, is not, I, there are times I still, still food soothe, and I have to remind myself when I want to beat myself up that my compulsive food behavior started at a very young age, and that was over a decade of behaviors that I learned to survive, and they're not going to go away overnight. And so when I get into that habit of you should be better, it's like I just have to look at how far I've come and, um, and just be easy and just take it one day at a time. Um, so I really want to stop for questions, but um, it's such an honor to be here. And thank you so much. Um, the question is, thank you, um, what does my abstinence look like today and how has it changed? Thank you. I missed that part, but we're going back to it. So um, my abstinence today is no binging, no restricting, and no purging. And um, it has changed. When I first came into program, my abstinence was three meals and two snacks, and there were calorie restrictions on those snacks. It had to be under 300 calories. And um, I determined, after having many crying breakdowns, that that abstinence wasn't working because it was triggering my restrictive side. And at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, I would be texting my sponsor saying, the snack was 303 calories, am I okay? Am I good? And after 
after many texts like that, she's like, this isn't working. And so I did some writing, and, and my new abstinence gives me more freedom. And, and I know I've outlined what a binge is. I've outlined what restricting looks like for me, and I've outlined what um, bulimic behaviors in terms of exercise or purging, you know, what that looks like. So um, it has changed, and, you know, it may continue to change. I don't know. Time will tell. Thank you. How do I interact with my higher power on a daily basis? Um, every morning, I take, I wake up earlier than um, I normally would, and I sit in my bed, and I have my morning coffee, and I do, I read two daily readers, and um, I do my gratitude list that I send to a fellow, and I've started to write a letter to God every day. And that really, really helps me. And in that letter, I may say, um, I usually start out with, God, please direct my thinking today. Help align my thoughts and actions towards your will for me. Um, and then if there's any fears or anything I need help with, I'll, I'll write that down. Um, I'll say thank you for my life and for my recovery. And, and that really helps me. And if I'm going through anything scary, like leading light a candle I you know have extra check-in times with my higher power whether it's in the car or with fellows because I believe that fellows speak through or God speaks through fellows and so um I really try to take that time to connect every day uh how do I deal with resentments today um I will write about it I'll do an inventory I'll identify um, you know, do the same inventory out of the big book on it, and I'll read it to my sponsor, and um, I may just need to do a lot of writing. And those letters to God, they can also be angry letters, too, and that's very therapeutic for me, and I need a God I can get angry at. Um, so I saw that, and I'll wrap up. Um, but there are some resentments I really like hanging on to, and I just need to keep doing more writing and keep turning it over. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Thank you, guys. <laughs>